0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to Mark chapter number 10, the book of Mark. And chapter number 10 this morning, Mark chapter 10 we are of course walking our, our way right through the book of mark and we come this morning to the end of chapter 10 picking our picking up our study right there in verse number 46 so mark chapter 10 And verse number 46, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Mark chapter 10, if you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 is where we are jumping in. They came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And when they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, this is Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight, and followed Jesus in the way. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together. Amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And Jesus has been ministering in this area. We've noted this already in our study of the book of Mark. And word about Jesus' teaching and about Jesus' miracles have spread. Many people know this. A great deal of people are following Jesus. In fact, in the next chapter, which we'll get to next week, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, his fame really precedes him. So as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God. And they're throwing down palm branches and they're celebrating the idea that Jesus has has come. So there are many people already who have heard of Jesus and Everywhere he goes, it's as if there is this scene that takes place as a result of it. What you also need to know about this part of the story is not just that there's a great multitude of people already excited about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But there's a great deal of people not excited about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Jesus is a marked man. In fact, we talked about that last week, that the disciples are amazed at the, at the courage that Jesus displays as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. That the greatest amount of people who want to do the greatest amount of hurt are in Jerusalem where Jesus is headed. But there's a third thing that we're noting here in this text, and that is that this is the week of the Passover, so this was a, a week of celebration for the, uh, as the Jewish custom would be. It was an annual feast. God's people, no matter where they lived in the nation of Israel, would travel to Jerusalem. Usually they would come by foot. They'd come to the city, they'd purchase a lamb for them and their families, they would take that lamb to the temple, they would make a sacrifice for sin there as the priest would offer that lamb on behalf of them individually, but also them as a family, and then they would stay in Jerusalem during the Passover week and they would worship God. So Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem on this day and on this week specifically, but he's doing so intentionally. That's what you need to know. That as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he is not going there to simply make a sacrifice. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem on Passover week because he is the sacrifice. You need to know that. Jesus is not going to make a sacrifice. Jesus is going as the sacrifice. What John would say about Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that is what separates Jesus' journey to Jerusalem than from everyone else's. Jesus is going as our Lamb. Jesus is going as our sacrifice. Jesus is going to die in our place. Now Jesus knows this. And Jesus has already said this. And Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And when I get there, I will be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And they will scourge me, and they will torture me, and they will beat me, and they will malign me, and they will put me in a false trial, and they will accuse me and blaspheme me. And then the Son of Man will be crucified and die on the cross. But he will not stay dead. And he rises on the third day. And Jesus has told the disciples this over and over and over again. And the disciples, a lot like you and a lot like me, they're just hard-headed. And so Jesus is telling them, here's what I'm going to Jerusalem to do. And the whole time they're making this trip to Jerusalem, the disciples are thinking, wow, we can't wait to have power. We can't wait to have our seat at the kingdom. We can't wait to have influence and glory. And yet what we are seeing from the life of Jesus is that there is no glory without a cross. There is no kingdom without a crucifixion. None of this happens apart from his death, which is what he is headed toward. And Jesus heads to this willingly. He heads to this freely. Jesus says even later, he says, no man takes my life from me. But I willingly and gladly laid down my life. Jesus willingly gave up himself. And this is the good news, friend. Jesus gave up himself for you this morning. And Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. He died as your lamb. He died in sacrifice for your sin. If you would simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, you shall be saved. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to accomplish that very thing, salvation for all who would believe on him. And as Jesus does, he makes his way through the town of Jericho and coming through the town, there is this man in verse 46 known as Blind Bartimaeus. Do you see that? You need to know this, that blind Bartimaeus is not the only beggar on the side of the road that day. There would have been several of them on the side of the road that day. Blind Bartimaeus is the only one that you and I know about. And notice the three things about Bartimaeus this morning. Notice first, notice his condition. He's blind. He's blind. Blindness is a ...terrible condition to find yourself in. It was even a worse condition to find yourself in in the first century. There were no telephones. There were no trained dogs. There were no audio books. There was no braille. There were no computers that talked back to you. You To find yourself in this condition in the first century... ...would have been to find yourself in a miserable place... Compound that on the idea that people were very less sympathetic to people who were in those kind of situations. There's no government assistance available to these people. And so their only resort was that they would sit on the side of the road and they would beg for bread. Bread. In fact, this is one of the reasons why the first century church in the book of Acts is standing out so uniquely from every other religion in the world and even people around the world in that time because they were to be compassionate to those who were most needy among them. They were to be showing love and support and care for individuals who had no other means, no other realms of support. This is noted in Acts when they, in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 when they are taking the widows in the church and they're saying, let's, let's care for them, let's provide for them. And they're establishing an office in the church at that point. There's two offices inside of a church. There's the pastor and then there are the deacons. And they're establishing the office of the deacons which are serving the congregation by finding those who are weak and vulnerable and helpless and caring for them. And there are many people in that culture who are taking advantage of that. That they're seeing the church as a way to just get a free handout. And this is not how it was meant to be. The, the, The deacons were to be caring for those who James would say later are widows indeed. That's a very important word widows indeed. Th- those who have no other means of help, those who have no kids, those who have no family, those who are not being supported with retirement income, those who have nothing else, these were the people who were left out. It's the blind, it's the weak, it's the widows, it's the sick. They're being left to the side. They find themselves all alone and they have no other help. They have no other need. Now I'll tell you this, in Acts chapter 6, they did a spectacular job of caring for the church, but it was not without contention. And I will tell you this about our church today here at First Baptist Long Beach. Our deacons do a superb job of caring for those who are most needy in our congregation. Yesterday, we had a funeral for one of our members here at the church. Our, our deacons and their wives were here for most of the morning, four or five hours, serving and caring for that dear family in our church. These are men who are not walking up to you saying, oh, I'm a deacon, look how impressive I am. Look, I have a badge, it says deacon. They're not doing this. These are men who are walking around being servants. This is ultimately, ultimately what the word means. It means servant. They are serving with no recognition, with no pat on the back, with no paycheck. They're doing this because of their love for God, ultimately, and they're doing this second because of their love for you. And they're serving in this way. I can tell you story after story of deacons who in the last six months have taken money out of their own pocket and provided for those in our church family who had nothing. These are stories you don't know about. You know why you don't know about them? Because the Bible says you are to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If what you are doing for the cause of Jesus is just to get people to like you, well then, you have your reward. But these men are not doing what they do to be liked by you. They are doing what they do to to show their love and service to God who rewards far better than you or I ever could. And so here you find Bartimaeus in this condition Begging for his own survival. Here you find Bartimaeus. Imagine a man who's not well-groomed, scraggly hair, unkept with his beard. He has no friends. He has no family to speak of in the text. There are not four friends like there was for the man who was lame, who hear about Jesus' teaching, who pick up the man's bed and take take him to hear Jesus. Bartimaeus doesn't have any kind of support structure like that. He's blind, what James would say. He's blind indeed. He has he's no other help, he has no other support system. And as bad as this physical condition of blindness is, I will tell you this there is something much worse than physical blindness, it's a spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, The God of this age, speaking of Satan, the work of the devil, hath blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And sometimes we use this expression. We say things like, well, you're just blind to what's going on right in front of you. You ever heard somebody say something like that? You're just blind to it read a story about a, a girl who was in college. She found a boy who she thought to be the love of her life. So she brought him home during the holiday in order, in order that her parents could meet him. He shows up in the house. He has dyed hair. He has it spiked three feet into the air. He has dark circles around his eyes. He has his fingernails painted black. He has a choker collar going around his neck. He has tattoos and piercings every which way. The mother, concerned for her daughter, takes her to the side and says, Honey, is this boy a nice boy? The daughter responds, Well, yes, he's nice, mother. Why else would he be doing 500 hours of community service? Sometimes we're just blind to what's right in front of us. Sin is blindness. That's what the Bible is teaching you and me. Sin is blindness. We cannot see what it is doing to us. We cannot see the devastation it is wrecking in our hearts, in our relationships. We cannot see how it is separating us from a holy and righteous God. People who are spiritually blind are people who the Bible says do not understand. Listen very closely. Everyone thinks they understand. But what, what John is telling us is, no, no, no. When you are given over to sin, you actually do not understand. Listen to it in John chapter 1, verse number 5. Jesus says, the light shineth in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. So when we are given over to sin, it blinds us. So that when we, 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 we read the Bible, we cannot comprehend the Bible. We hear a sermon, but we don't really understand the sermon. We, we, we know spiritual truths, but, but, but we miss the application of spiritual truths. It, it is, this is like me with a computer. I use a computer every day, but I don't really know anything about a computer. If you, you, you came up to me in the lobby and you began to talk to me about all kinds of language about a computer, the, the modem and the hardware and the software, my eyes would immediately glaze over. Because while I use the computer every day, I do not understand it. You say, well, why don't you understand it? Well, a couple of reasons. First, because I'm not interested enough in it to understand it. Second, because probably because I'm too embarrassed to ask. And there are people walking around in spiritual blindness who hear about sin... Who see the devastation it's causing in their family and their relationship, who hear about a savior, but they don't really understand it. It doesn't really compute in their heart. They're intellectually capable. They're simply not interested enough They're intellectually capable, but perhaps they're too embarrassed to ask. They cannot see that they are sinful and in need of forgiveness. They cannot see that one day they are going to die and stand before a holy and righteous God. They cannot see that Jesus died for them personally on the cross and wants to forgive them individually of their sin and wants to empower them to live by His Spirit and who has given them His Word so that they can navigate the paths of this life. They are spiritually blind. Sin is like blindness. Oftentimes in our life, we find ourselves saying, well, that's not me, I don't have that problem. But listen, friend, it's called a blind spot for a reason. You know, if you're driving your car, you're taught there are vehicles that can get in your blind spot. That while you might look in your mirror and it looks as if the lane is clear, and if you might look ahead and it looks as if the lane is clear, they may be riding right there in the blind spot. So when you go to get into that lane, you did not see them because they were in your blind spot. And sometimes this happens in our own lives with pride and arrogance and lust and selfishness or addictions or relationships or, or, or a spirit of, of, of walking in the flesh as opposed to walking in the spirit. And, and we, can, we can find ourselves blind to it. We can not understand what's truly happening to us. Sin is like blindness. You and I cannot understand it, but you need to understand something else about sin as blindness. Not only do we not understand it, but second, we hate the light. In John chapter 3, those that are in darkness hate the light. They despise it. You know what it's like to be sound asleep in a dark room? Not, Not sound asleep in a light room. That's what some of you are doing right now. Sound asleep in a dark room, and somebody comes in, and then they just turn on the light? What happens? You're, ah, what are you doing? Turn it off. You squint. You get angry. My kids taught Emery this. So every morning now, she'll wake up in the morning, she'll go, ah, it's bright. Bright. And then she'll look under her hand to see if you're doing it also. It's bright. And people who are in spiritual blindness hate the light. It's, it's bright. They get angry. They get hostile toward exposure of the truth. It's not just that, but people who are spiritually blind, they do not know where they are going. They do not know where they are headed. They do not realize the path that they are on. They wander far from the truth. They wander far from the light. Not not toward it. John chapter 12 verse number 36. While ye have the light, believe in the light that ye may be children of the light. And these things Jesus spake and departed and did hide himself from them. That's a good verse, but I meant to read verse number 35. Here's what he says. Yet a little while the light is with you, walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. You don't know know the way to go. They don't know which way is up, which way is down. They don't know how to process truth or reality. They don't know how to process their emotions or feelings they're, they're just subject to the winds of this life. What James says later, they're tossed about like ships on waves. This is the world that we live in. I read a statistic this past week 68% of adults, this was done by Pew Research, 68% of adults in California say there is no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. There's no truth. There's no error. It's just whatever you find yourself in, whatever you're feeling in the moment may be, they do not know where they are going. Do you understand? They do not know where they are going. They're just like a ship on the wave, just bouncing every which direction. They're subject to their own feelings, subject to their own, to their own moment. They're not guided by truth. They're not being held by truth. They're not walking in the light. Sin is blindness. It's not just that sin is blindness. It's also that religion is the blind leading the blind. One author wrote, when a person quits believing in God, he doesn't believe in nothing. Instead, he believes in anything. Anything. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. The the opposite of Christianity is superstition. It's religiousness. And as a result of this, this is what Jesus calls them in Matthew 15. They are blind guides. That if one blind man is leading another blind man, they both fall into the ditch. That when people are spiritually blind, they lead other people astray. Listen, listen very, very closely. Not everyone talking about Jesus loves Jesus. Not everyone who comes to church loves the church. Not everyone who pretends to be well-meaning is in fact, listen, well-meaning. And if you are spiritually blind, then you become what Jesus says in Matthew 15. You are like a blind person following a blind person. And both of you will go into the ditch in this way. I remember when I first came to Long Beach, we had a funeral service for one of the members of our Cambodian uh, congregation. The funeral service was out at the Forest Lawn uh, in Cyprus. remember driving out there, drove, drove by myself. I had no idea how huge of a complex that cemetery was. So I get there, I went to the office first, Tried to find out exactly where I was supposed to be headed. I came out, got in the car, started it up. Started trying to navigate all of the roads with the little map that they gave me. To no avail, ten minutes later, I was right back where I started, at the office. This is the worst thing about it. I look in my rearview mirror and there were two other cars from the church who were following me. It may seem strange to say, but it is is a reality. People who do not know where they are going are able to persuade other people to follow them along the way. You think of religious leaders who have done this. People who are saying things like, all roads lead to heaven. No, they do not. Not according to the Bible. And individuals like Jim Jones and others who were standing and were teaching who were who were promoting things that were contrary to the scriptures friend that hundreds of people were following them spiritually blind they were spiritually active at least it appeared to be and yet on the inside they were full of what Jesus would say are dead men's bones There was no life. There was no spirit. Blind men leading blind. There's an idea that if you repeat something often enough then people will just come to believe it. And so it is with those who are spiritually blind. They do not understand the light. They hate the light. They do not know where they are going. And yet... They find themselves constantly trying to persuade other people along the way. You and I, as God's people, should ask God for wisdom by his spirit in this way. Lord, I do not want to be spiritually blind... I do not want to be given over to sin. I do not want to give myself over to someone who is spiritually blind and then follow that person into some kind of a ditch. And Jesus here, notice blind Bartimaeus, his condition, he's blind. Look at verse 47. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, mark that phrase, it's Jesus of Nazareth. You go, go all the way back to our first... Sermon in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Who is the Messiah? The Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. Who's the promised one coming from God? He's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. Bartimaeus is claiming this. Jesus of Nazareth. He, he knows it's Jesus of Nazareth. So he calls out to him. Notice what he says. Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me. The crowd around Jesus that day tells him to be To be silent. They say Jesus is busy, he's focused, he's very important, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Do you not know what awaits Jesus at Jerusalem? So notice second, not only Bartimaeus' condition, but notice second Bartimaeus' petition. Bartimaeus is acknowledging Jesus as the only one, and then he pleads for mercy. Mercy is exemption from my punishment. So, so, so unlike the rich young ruler who we studied a few weeks ago, Bartimaeus doesn't come to Jesus with some kind of big show. He doesn't need some huge formal introduction. He doesn't stand in front of Jesus and say, I have kept all the commandments from my youth. No, no, no. Bartimaeus was not asking for something that he deserved Bartimaeus was asking for something he does not deserve. Have mercy on me. I want you to notice this. Bartimaeus does not ask for healing, Bartimaeus asks for mercy. Bartimaeus is not trying to impress God with his good works. He's not trying to impress God with his status. He is coming to God and he is saying, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your glory. I am spiritually blind and I need mercy. This is what is happening when the prophet Nathan stands in front of King David and turns on the light of David's dark deed his sin with Bathsheba, and he looks at David and he says, thou art the man. And what's very interesting is the first word off of David's pen after being confronted with the light of the truth about his sin is found in Psalms 51 where David writes, have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy. He cries out for mercy. Look at verse 48. Many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the great deal more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. But before you just really hard on the disciples here, just understand the scenario. There's all kinds of poor and needy, outcast people along the way. They're all calling out for something. And here is a man who is disheveled. Here is a man who is unkept. Here is a man who is unclean. And he is calling out and he is saying crazy things just the same. And so the response from the disciples is shh. So be quiet. Stop talking crazy. And yet the man redoubles his effort. Calls out even more. Jesus, verse 49, Jesus stood still. And he commanded him to be called. They call the blind man saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise. He calleth thee. He casts away his garment. He throws down his garment. He rises up. He goes to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Verse 51 is a very important verse. Here's why. Because Jesus does not force his power onto people. Jesus is very gentle. Jesus, Jesus is not just pushing his way in. Jesus isn't walking by the man and just hitting him with his cloak as he goes by. Now, Jesus is gentle. He's kind. He is asking the man, What is it that you want from me? How can I help you? You remember when Jesus asked the disciples this question a few weeks ago in verse number 36? Jesus asked the disciples, What would ye that I should do for you? And you remember what the disciples say? Give us power, give us glory. Give us influence. Give us a seat at the right hand. Make make us vice president next to you in your kingdom. And Bartimaeus is not asking for glory. He's not asking for power. He's not asking for any of that. Bartimaeus requests, Lord, I want to see. I, I want to be out of the darkness of this dungeon. I want to be off this roadside. I want to walk the streets of Jerusalem without running into the walls. I wonder if Jesus asked you today, how can I help you? What would you have me to do for you? I wonder what you would say. I wonder what I would say. I wonder if we'd say be merciful to us. I wonder if we'd say, take away the darkness of our sin, remove the blindness from our eyes. I wonder if we'd say, give me a stronger faith, remove my dark doubts. I wonder if we'd say, Lord, give us courage so that we can quit blindly catering to the opinions of other people about us. I wonder if we'd say, Lord, take away these dark addictions I wonder if Jesus asked you, how can I help you? I wonder what you'd say. His petition found, verse 51, what would you have me to do for you? He responds, the blind man said to him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Third and last, notice Bartimaeus' transformation. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. He followed Jesus in the way. Think of it. In a moment, he went from darkness to light. He was blind and then all of a sudden, he could see. And do you know the first thing that he saw? It was not the roads of Jerusalem. It was not the building that he sat on. It was not the blue sky with... The white clouds, he he was not amazed at the faces of the crowd. The first thing he saw was the face of Jesus Christ. Transformation comes in two ways in this verse. It comes first by faith precedes sight. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So Jesus simply and quickly responds to the cry for mercy and grace from the blind beggar. And he says, your faith hath made thee whole. Catch it. Your faith hath made thee whole. Grace is the divine hand that extended healing. But faith is the human hand that reached out and received what God was extending to him. Grace was the divine hand that extended healing. But faith is the human hand that reached out to receive what God was extending to him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is at least three things. Faith is first, truth. It's the truth about Jesus, which this man knows. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. This man knows the truth about Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the King. He's Christ. He's born of the Virgin. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's our Passover Lamb. He's our substitute. He's our risen Savior. He's our friend. He's the son of David, thereby he is the king of kings and lord of lords. The blind man sitting on the side of the road knew this about Jesus he knew the truth. Faith is rooted in truth. But faith, secondly, is belief. So it's not just knowing the truth, it's believing in the truth. So, yes, Jesus is my substitute. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my God. Jesus is my Savior. He's my substitute. He is my all. He's everything. So, yes, I know truth about Jesus. He's savior, king, God, son of God, Emmanuel. He's Christ. Yes, I know that about him. But now I am claiming it personally for me. I am believing in it. For me, I am believing in him. For me, I am believing in the truth. For me. Faith is truth. Faith is belief. Faith is trust. So you say, well, the truth of the Bible says this, so I will trust Him. Even when I don't feel like it, I will trust Him. Jesus promised that he would never leave you or forsake you. That's a truth that I believe, and so I trust it even when I can't feel it. That is the exercise of your faith. Faith is truth, faith is belief. Faith is trust. It is the truth about God. Is believing in the truth about God. It is trusting the truth of God. Faith precedes sight. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercies that he saved us. Faith precedes sight, second, part of Bartimaeus' transformation. Following produces sanctification. So notice how the text ends. Many times we stop with faith hath made thee whole. But that's not where the text ends. The text says, and immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. Bartimaeus is now a disciple. Wherever Jesus goes, Bartimaeus will go. Whatever Jesus does, Bartimaeus will do. So, gospel gratitude inspires us to follow Jesus at any cost. Gospel gratitude inspires us to follow Jesus at any cost. Bartimaeus could have gone, okay, I see Okay, I'm saved. Okay, see you later. But that's not what he says. He says, "I see. I'm saved. I'll follow where you lead." Some early church tradition say that Bartimaeus was actually a major figure in the church at Jerusalem, which is Probably rightly indicated in the text. It's why Mark is saying so much about Bartimaeus. It's why in verse 46, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. It's because he knows that the the congregants who were reading his letter would have been familiar with that person. That's why he's naming it. He's saying, hey, by the way, do do you know Bartimaeus? That leader in the church? Do you know Bartimaeus? That great teacher that you you enjoy? You know Bartimaeus, that man who has done so much by serving you? You know Bartimaeus? You you, you think him to be this great spiritual leader? Do you know Bartimaeus? He was a blind man on the side of the road. He was spiritually blind. He had no understanding. He had no truth. He hated the truth. He was lost in darkness. And then along came Jesus... And Jesus saved him. And Jesus changed him. And Jesus made him someone brand new. And Bartimaeus threw off his robe, threw down his money-changing or money-collecting cup. And he followed after Jesus. So when Jesus comes into Jerusalem next week in chapter 11, and the crowds are gathering in front of him, and they're saying, "'Hosanna, Hosanna! Guess who is leading the charge? Guess who is leading the way?' Guess who is conducting the choir? It is blind Bartimaeus. If following Jesus produces sanctification in our lives, he followed Jesus in the way. I'm wondering for you this morning are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus in your marriage? Are you following Jesus in your parenting? Are you following Jesus in your attitude? Are you following Jesus with the words that you say to other people? Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus in the entertainments you pursue? Are you following Jesus in, in the things you're watching online? Are you following Jesus? You say, Pastor, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. How, how do I follow Jesus? Very easy how you follow Jesus. You get in the word of God and obey the word of God. Amen. The primary way that God will speak to you, the primary way that God will lead you is with his word and by his spirit in your heart. The spirit of God confirms to us the word of God. It's the spirit of God that uses the word of God in the heart of the child of God that makes the child of God into the image that God wants him to be in. This is how we follow Jesus. It's not simply an exercise in religion. It's a relationship with Christ. That is what we are in pursuit of. You say, well, I want to have a relationship with him. How do I get to know him? Right here. The Bible is the revelation of God himself to you. That is what the scripture is. It is the full revelation of God for man. That everything that God wanted you to know about him, about his purpose, about his plan for your life is found in this book right here. He kept nothing back from you in this way. So you and I, as James then says, must not simply be hearers of the word only. Deceiving ourselves, thinking that somehow the truth is in us simply because we heard the word. We must be doers of the word also. And in this way, we are following after Jesus, allowing him to make us into the image that he desires for us.